and triggered. Welcome to episode 119 of Grumpy Old Benz for Monday, December 14th, 2020. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where as the temperatures go down, so do the homicides. And from America's left coast, where the podcasters all come pre-triggered, I'm Ryan Bemrose. I mean, you would think everybody in Chicago would be natural born killers, but no, it turns out as it gets colder. Less people get shot because people don't want to leave their houses. Seems more like natural born victims. <laughs> well, that is. Yeah. Welcome to uh, welcome to shy. I mean, it takes two for there to be a shooting where uh, this this weekend, 17 shot three fatally. So a very uh, oh. quiet weekend. Oh, I you beat me. I think <laughs> at <laughs> least I'm not aware of that many people actually getting shot here, although uh, starting on Friday, since after uh, after I went out on a limb and made a massive bold prediction that I said if if our constitution and democracy or or you know if the this great experiment known as the United States is to survive, the Supreme Court has to take up this case. Yeah, um, it was about four hours later <laughs> that uh, <clears throat> clearly that's not in the cards. It's an interesting thing to look at. I mean, one, this wasn't part of anything that the Trump administration was doing. So this was on the outside. But when we talked about it, and rightfully so, I still believe that this was hopefully, we thought, going to be something the Supreme Court would at least look at because the the concept that Texas has no standing here is a worrisome thing because I don't know if there's any other place one state can go to when they have a problem with another state, but the Supreme court. So if if the Supreme court says there's no standing to do that, this is opening up a whole can of worms. There is no other court that, that works for that grievance. And I, you know, I, I, I know that, that they, they probably don't, you know, start and end their day based on whether or not I approve, but I would have a lot more respect for a, a Supreme Court that got the decision wrong than one that just cops out and decides not to make the decision. That is that is some really uh, cowardly bullshit. Just saying, oh, we're not even going to hear it. Um, you know, the every one of you know, all, all of my friends, at least all the ones locally. Who are, of course, uh, you know, I'm the odd man out and they are all uh, unapologetic leftists are the meme going around amongst every single one of them is, well, uh, you know, all of this evidence has clearly been thrown out by in every case that it, you know, that it's been brought. I'm like, no, every single case that's been denied has been denied based on bullshit procedural reasons like standing. No court has heard any of the evidence yet and there's mountains of it and it looks like there's just not going to be any courts willing to hear the evidence and 
I guess, you know, the the Rosetta Stone, the the keystone that's really missing here is um, you know, election fraud is kind of a big deal. And okay, who would have standing? Who what what you know, obviously courts when they throw something out on procedural grounds, they don't give any indication of well what would get past the procedural barriers that you're setting up but this is this is just a a ridiculous cop out and i i had pinned most of my faith for the continued existence of this grand experiment that we call a, a constitutional free republic um on the idea that the courts would be the last ones to go completely corrupt and well, my faith is being shattered. How are you doing? Well, I understand on one side of this that the Supreme Court is saying that states are the ones that are in charge of how they run their individual elections. And that's always been that way. I get that. But the reality then becomes. And, and that's fine in cases where it's not electing the one guy who's going to tell what all the other tell all the other states to mask up for 100 days yes i don't think anybody really was prepared for massive amounts of fraud in multiple states where it seems that the people running the states the people in the you know charge are the ones that are the problems because that is you know normally this would work this way if there was a bunch of voting irregularities in whatever state you would expect, you know, their attorney general, their governor, the, their legislature to go, wait, wait a minute, we need to fix this. Not I, don't tr- I don't trust elected officials to do anything useful. Well, and, yeah, and you certainly don't expect them to turn their head and go, no, there's absolutely no evidence here whatsoever. If, if Texas was suing Pennsylvania over a corrupt election for the governor of Pennsylvania, then I would understand Texas doesn't have any standing. But if if Pennsylvania and Georgia and Michigan and uh, Wisconsin are all corrupt enough to, or, you know, let's go ahead and extend this because it's, it's a difference in, in degree and not kind. But what if 49 States were all completely corrupt? Would Texas not have standing to say, uh, okay, well, we need to do something about the corruption because at this point, if you go back to the, the founding ideas of the States where each state was supposed to originally be uh, a completely independently run thing. And again, like I said, Texas has no right to tell Phil, tell Pennsylvania how to run Pennsylvania, but this was supposed to be a, a confederation of everyone who with with the common government. And for a long time, it was 13 completely separate countries who all just happened to have representatives that they sent. And then somewhere along the line, right around the Civil War, uh, it kind of got codified that, oh, yeah, by the way, no one is allowed to leave. Well, if you can't leave and you don't have standing to tell other people not to fuck you over by tyranny of the majority what are your options at this point you know the the only peaceful option if if the supreme court really thinks that the right thing to do is yeah if you know a majority of corrupt states can completely screw over all the other ones then the only peaceful thing that i think is still available is secession 
And I wish that were an option, but man, Abraham Lincoln kind of fucked us over on that because I don't think secession is ever going to be allowed again, not after the, you know, the 1860s when it was firmly cemented that all of the states are all just puppet regimes controlled by the central federal government. Well, it would definitely be really hard to pull it off. Rush Limbaugh does think that secession is in the cards in the relatively near future because of the fact that a vast majority of the country does not agree with the few small, large metropolitan city areas, those little pockets that are controlling everything now because of the massive amount of population that they have. And we talked about this almost yes. from our very first not, grumpy not all old of whom are Not all of whom are, are alive or or you know valid real people well a lot of dead people vote in chicago it's always been that way a a lot of non-people a lot of people for whom there was no they didn't even bother with people they just fucking printed up ballots and said here yeah yeah this is right and it it really isn't even the thing is this this election wasn't even about urban versus rural yes people came out for biden in droves in urban areas because that's who who his party panders to but that wasn't even this the the people didn't vote for biden uh a tr- you know, if you actually go and ask the american people far more of them probably 10 million more voted for trump than voted for biden but that's the actual american people the problem is the people who have been put in charge of counting votes are unapologetically corrupt and have just decided that what the population wants is unimportant. And the only thing that matters is what the elites want and get. And this is a complete takeover of the oligarchy. This has nothing to do with left versus right. It just happens that one of the elite parties is, is slightly more corrupt and compromised than the other one and executed a brilliant coup d'etat in terms of just completely subverting everything that the population of the country, the the poor plebeians, the proletariat, these, these silly idiots who still trust their government, everything that they might've wanted has been completely subverted by a few corrupt individuals who unfortunately put themselves into a position of being able to count the ballots And that's why the problem is recorded. These are not real people. These are not even people at all. They're just votes. And and once we once we separated ourselves from the one man, one vote concept, then elections mean nothing. Yeah, we don't. (laughs) I mean, it's it's the argument can be made and we could have a certainly a debate on whether that concept is good or not. And we've talked about what is wrong with a flat out democracy. But when you can't actually put the ballots, each individual vote with a real person, this is where the voter fraud becomes massive, which is why all of these mail-in ballots were a huge problem. And other states are feeling this. I mean, Texas and the 17, 18, whatever many states joined that lawsuit, obviously had a problem with what these other states did. But again, I understand the separation, which is, That's the states. It's all up to them to run their election the way they want to. But where is the oversight then? And if there is no oversight except the state themselves, the way I would kind of look at this then is, I mean, you grew up with a brother, you know, Bemlet, Tony, 
that uh, allegedly I, you, the two of you had, had fights and disagreements. I believe at times I've heard stories and you had a court to go to, though, if the two of you were really going at it sooner or later, I'm guessing mom or dad or both stepped in and said, hey, shut up. Or they figured out which one's going to get yeah. punished and which one's not. Well, my, my my dad was definitely one of those people who was was of the opinion of I don't care who started it. But if I have to finish it, you're both going to not like the outcome. But yeah. yes, but that <laughs> but it is, happened. That's how the system worked, because if every state is on equal footing and one state, you know, sees the brother state is cheating and can't do anything about it. That is a serious problem with the system that we have here in the United States. And it's there's always been fraud. You know, this is why it's funny that all of these so-called journalists or politicians. I mean, I know politicians lie and journalists lie. The fact that they can sit there and be like, well, no, there's no fraud evident at all. It's like, well, see, now I know you're lying because every <laughs> everyone has fraud. Every election has fraud. It's a question of how much. So when you say no evidence of anything whatsoever, then we know you're lying. Yeah, that that is an obvious lie. And it in the most charitable interpretation, that person doesn't have any fucking clue what they're talking about. But in general, that is always a lie because every single time that you get an election of more than five people, there is going to be fraud somewhere. Most of the elections, it's not enough to completely swing the whole thing. In this case, it was it was widespread. It was coordinated. It was orchestrated for the purpose of swinging it in precisely the right places that needed to go in order to manufacture enough votes to change the outcome that 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 were the, there was absolutely a, the the amount of coordination of this the absolute most likely explanation is that there was somebody in a smoky room somewhere who with with a wall of screens looking in on all of their corrupt professionals and and sending direction and organizing all of this that there it is way too much of a coincidence that every single you know there there's always some idiot at accounting place somewhere the, the country's big enough that there's always someone somewhere that is like well i prefer this you know this candidate so let's just throw out a few of the other ones there's always somebody doing that and we try to catch it and we try to get rid of them but there were too many in too many very key places for this to be any kind of coincidence well, and this was the first election we really had so much of a spotlight put on these automated vote counting machines and them being. I mean, this is the first time I remember hearing so many stories of, well, they're connected to the Internet or their software was being updated either the night before or, God forbid, that day during the election. People going yeah, in with USB. after the election. Yeah. And. I understand the technology. I mean, we're technology guys. We love to make things easier, but we also understand that with technology comes a much easier ability to change the results of something like this. A simple count, you can't verify the machine is working unless you actually can read the software. And if the software is being changed after the count, well, you don't know what was really being counted because, I mean, let's just say we had an election. It's uh, Darren and Ryan. We each got five votes, but I did the software, the machine, which said, you know, every third vote for Ryan, put it in my category. Well, who's going to know that if the software is, you know, nuked right after the election? They're going to go, well, no, of, of course, Darren won. 
that's that's why when when people push for we need to do a recount the only possible way that you can do a recount and have any faith in it whatsoever is you put take the machines and you just roll them off of a cliff right. and then you recount without the machines yes if you cannot recount without the machines now there's also going to be other concerns like the uh, as far as i'm aware these machines were actually the thing printing the ballot and they printed a ton of ballots that should not have existed however um at the very least that is going to help with the allegations that you know when you put in something that's marked for trump it adds one to the biden column um you know and, and there's lots of argument that that happened and at the absolute minimum, these machines are suspect and you are never going to get confidence in an election unless you manage to perform a recount without them. And I haven't seen a lot of people pushing for that. No, I've seen nobody pushing for that, but we need a physical recount. And yes, any place where the machine itself was the one that marked the ballots, you can just throw those out because those I, I, are worthless. I feel like what we need to do is throw out all of the states where where this fraud can be proven. But it turns out that no court is willing to let the evidence be presented, which, again, um, I, I don't necessarily want to uh, accuse anyone of conspiracy where where there are other plausible explanations. But, boy, it's starting to look like some of these courts are kind of in on the idea of, no, we're not going to allow anyone to present evidence. I understand the concept of we don't want to look like a banana republic, but oh, we're there <laughs> with that said. Yeah, we've we've arrived. Welcome to the island of the if, United if, States. If the Constitution is no longer being followed because courts are the candy ass fucking courts are saying, well, actually, states don't have any standing to have a beef with each other, then, yeah, we're a banana republic. Um, we just had an election that was completely fixed. Uh, handed to the oligarch that the other elites all had decided was going to be the winner. Um, yeah, well, that uh, we're a banana republic. That's what this is. Which is exactly why that it is now verboten to post something on YouTube that's questioning uh, the election results. This is why. I mean, think about this though. How quickly has election denier? gone up there with a global warming denier and uh it's, the, it's I, I don't even care anymore youtube you know not even the cat videos on youtube are any good anymore they all suck no in the Why world does in general, anybody though, go to youtube you're being treated as a it doesn't matter just on youtube anywhere if you're a, if you're an election denier that's the new thing you were a, yeah you were a global right warming denier oh I mean, I mean if if there is to be any fairness in human history History will will prove right that the censors are the ones who are causing the problems. Yeah. Um, and besides, I, I, I'm i called a denier for so many other things. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm already the total whack job amongst my friends group because I mentioned once that I didn't buy into the climate change story. Um, you know, I am I am naturally skeptical, which means that when somebody. When somebody comes to me and says, this is the truth and you're not allowed to talk about it, I am immediately skeptical and I lose respect for that person because anything you're not allowed to talk about automatically has a little bit more credence just because there is someone in power willing to censor it. Yeah. And now when you have the tech giants controlling a vast majority of speech, at least all 
meaningful speech to the crowd, to the world. I mean, you can still call, you know, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your friends, and you can tell them whatever you want. I mean, until. Yeah, until, they don't listen to me either. I know. But all the communication, I mean, you can still do that. Although uh, I saw that it's now been revealed, allegedly, that the ability to uh, snoop on signal calls is already there, that there's an Israeli firm that has the ability to do that, which we've talked about this in the past as well, which is just because they say it's encrypted. Don't trust them. Don't trust them. But the only way for you to talk to the world as a whole and not somebody just one on one is to use one of these Internet platforms. And it's not just YouTube. And I agree. Screw YouTube and screw Twitter and screw Facebook. But we need a host in order to put this show out there. And I don't know Uh how much longer these hosts are going to be uh, above the fray of getting a call from somebody like, ah, you know, these grumpy old Ben's guys or these no agenda guys, you know, they're they're uh, they're paying you money to rent these servers. But we'd really prefer if uh, if you didn't, they, they don't have the global reach of YouTube, but there are still plenty of places out there who have decided not to jump onto the the large scale censorship that we're seeing today. Uh, in fact, one of one of them that I uh, am apparently no longer allowed to support is a site that that is not really intended to be a general purpose video sharing site, but their their we don't censor attitude got them in trouble, which was Pornhub. Are you familiar <laughs> with this one? Yes. Yeah. Well, they, they got de credit cardized, right? Yes, um, there there is uh, the online payments are pretty much controlled by a cartel where uh, when one of them decides to go woke, uh, the others will follow suit. That, by the way, is called collusion. Uh, it's uh, it's not supposed to be legal. That is a, a severe violation of antitrust rules. But MasterCard and Visa control almost everything. And then and then I love this this little ad on Discover, who controls like, you know, 0.1 percent of the market. And but but needed needed to be able to signal they jumped on as well. Um, they have all decided that uh, Pornhub shall not be an entity and have canceled it off the face of, of the Internet. And why would they do this for the children? Well, because, well, it wasn't because of children. <laughs> they said In fact, it was. I would bet nobody at MasterCard, Visa or Discover ever even bothered to look at the alleged violations. No, um, one reporter printed an article. That alleged um, also, by the way, I went and looked at the article, which was fucking painful because that reporter and that article were at the New York Times. And I hate that fucking site because even the fucking ad banners are all SJW these days. But um, the article didn't actually provide any links or evidence. Why? Because, well, it's too shocking for you to see. But trust us. OK, I don't trust you. but. One dude at New York Times provided unsubstantiated, baseless claims that Pornhub was full of non-consensual underage and revenge porn videos. And because of that, MasterCard decided to fucking nuke them off the face of the Internet. Well, you because know, MasterCard has that power. And it would take too much work to figure out if it was true or not. So we just go on the accusation. Yes. And uh, okay, so there's a couple angles of this. One, um, 
yes, I'm certain that every once in a while, uh, an, a video of that sort of thing does get uploaded to Pornhub. Um, I, I am certain that every once in a while, a rape and snuff video get uploaded to YouTube again on the scale that these services operate on. It would be impossible to prevent that indefinitely there. If you search hard enough, you will find everything that they said about uh, about Pornhub. You will find that exact same shit on YouTube somewhere and that their algo missed and Instagram and anywhere people can upload yes. stuff. And and Twitter is completely full of dildos who are spewing all over the. That's just people. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes, I'm certain it exists. And I'm certain if you scrape hard enough, you will be able to find something illegal. And did Nicholas Kristoff of the New York Times decide to use the legal means, which is to notify Pornhub of this? By the way, all of those things, uh, you know, rape, uh, underage people uh, in, in uh, underage porn. Um, right. But what is underage now all, that we're supposed to take the 12 year olds seriously? It, well, these are all against Pornhub's terms of service. They already have been. If you notify Pornhub, this this is my point. If you notified Pornhub that it's happening, you point to a video and say, here is some verification. That person is 16. Then they will take the video down. They always have. Right. Well, they, um, I mean, I understand the argument here as well. They just turn a blind eye until somebody points it out. But again, as you said, the same can be said for YouTube, YouTube or anybody does. else. Yeah. It's the same thing Twitter does. Yeah. It's the same thing. Well, well yeah, Twitter does really <laughs> proactive when about censoring Trump's tweets, but that's oh, yeah. about it. That's it. That's exactly it. Anything Trump says there has a little mark on it, but everybody else can say almost whatever they want and nothing gets marked because it is a concept that is and not new, but it's selective persecution. It's selective as far as who you're going to go after. And you can't have. I mean, that's if you want a free society, that's certainly not the way to do it. You can't just pretend, well, we're protecting people from this content and then only go after the people on one side of the political aisle putting out said content. It just doesn't make sense. And it shows you for what you are. But this is where the world is going. I saw an article the other day. I don't remember. It might have been the New York Times because that's kind of the crap they post. Or it might have been like the Guardian or something in the UK because they have some funny stuff. But it was really a serious, in-depth article about. The coming sex robots, of course, which we talked about a lot at the beginning of Grumpy Old Ben's, thanks to the plethora of coverage that was on the now defunct Mark and George show. But there was a serious article about robots, sentient beings and sex robots being able to actually consent. So it's like, okay, this is going to be the new thing. Guys are going to buy sex robots. I think overall guys probably more than girls, but I don't want to degender or disgender or misgender. But you're going to buy these robots and then they're going to just be like. No, thanks. Not in the mood. <laughs> There's 20 grand down the tube. I Well, and also the part of the whole reason why uh, I, I, I don't know why you made me think of this, but part of the reason why is some guys and, and again, um, you know, you, you can't really control what the body wants. Some guys are into non-consensual stuff and you can call that horrible all you want, but whatever gets your dick hard gets your dick hard. And if if you are the kind of person who is has been betrayed by your own body to be into that sort of thing, and you are looking for an outlet for it that does not harm people, wouldn't a sex robot be the right way to do it? 
Until you give a sex robot status as a sentient being, which uh, they did. Okay, well, stop installing Windows 10 on it. That should help. <laughs> you, you did bring up. You did bring up one thing that uh, you, you kind of you you kind of characterized this as as if it were something shady or negative. You you said that they were taking the the passive oh sweep it under the rug thing until someone reports it. Um, what, what I wanted to point out is that method of, of, we have to take it down as soon as someone reports it. Um, that's the law, right? That, that is in fact what they are required to do by law. Um, and like I said, they were taking things down. The Pornhub was taking things down when it was reported. Uh, this step taken by MasterCard, Visa and Discover is way beyond the law and that is the pro- that is ultimately the problem i have with this story is that those you know, the, the legal system is set up there are no shortage of laws pornhub is quite aware of all of them there are no shortage of laws around pornographic material that you have to jump through hoops you have to do this you have to do that they have to keep themselves far cleaner than any other social network out there because they deal with an area where if they step one toe over a legal line, then they're going to get slapped down hard because so many people who, uh, you know, still are keeping up the, the Puritan ways that the country was founded on. So many people are like, Oh God, we can't possibly show the human body. Okay, fine. Lots of people get really, really uptight about pornography fine you don't have to do that but pornhub keeps its ducks in a line legally this step by mastercard visa and discover is extrajudicial it is way beyond what the law requires and it is really really chilling to know that these companies have more power than the legal system to destroy a company merely because they don't like them and because of unfounded, untested, undemonstrated accusations by one social justice reporter at a blog. Yes, New York Times is a fucking blog. You know, some guys like to get slapped down hard, but uh, our buddy Blitz in the troll room. And if you're not in the troll room, when we do these episodes live Monday, Friday, noon Eastern at noagendastream.com, he is forecasting a future where the sex robots will unionize and go on strike. I mean, that's a scary future that we're looking at. But the this concept of the credit cards turning people off is nothing new. I don't believe it's going away. This is a just another rung on the same ladder of what's going on with YouTube and Twitter and all of the deplatforming. This is just another way to keep the slaves in line and make them do what you want. Otherwise, they can't take part in the normal day-to-day society, which is why we go back to the cashless concept, which we talked about in the first two episodes of the show, because this is a big part of it. So many people use credit cards all the time, especially now because cash is dangerous. It's scary because yeah. COVID. I mean, this this story is far older than our show that, that companies like MasterCard and Visa have been going woke and canceling people from existence in and and by the way the just to head off the whatever idiot straw man is gonna say oh but they're a private company they're not fucking private they are the de facto 
way that all commerce is done today. And if they were. So, so Mr. Bemrose does a MasterCard and Visa. Do they have to take payments for people that kidnap children and sell them? I mean, do they have to take those payments? Cause I mean, that's just another, they're just, it's just a de facto. Come on. What what we have here is, is wanting the, to have it both ways, wanting oh, yeah. to have your cake and eat it too. MasterCard and Visa are corporations. They are not technically attached to the government, which means they are not required to serve the people. And, and that is certainly the argument they want to make whenever they take steps like this. However, um, thanks to an inordinate amount of regulation around the industries they're in, they are also immune from competition. Which means they're not, uh, they're, they're not really private companies in, in the sense that, you know, the, the, the checks and balances against government is that they're supposed to be accountable to the people for what that's worth. The checks and balances against a private company is always supposed to be if you don't like what the company is doing, you go to their competition. But when the state steps in and prevents competition from happening via too much regulation, you do not have a free company. You do not have what you have is a de facto government arm who just happens to not be required to serve the people. And, and that's, uh, I've got a long digression that you can head off right now if you don't want me to. Um, but it has to do with a conversation I had with a, a friend who um, it, it, he, he triggered me uh, a, in a, a, a random conversation over D and D that, we didn't get to have because it's inappropriate to completely ruin the game by this, but he used the phrase late stage capitalism. Are, are you familiar with this? I am not. It It is. Uh, well, I won't, I won't intentionally use the phrase dog whistle, but it is a word that tends to be used by a lot of people who are under the impression that the problem that we're having right now of, of corporations being evil and in in collusion with governments to screw over the little guy is an inevitable result of capitalism. And I, I had a lot of trouble with that because it, it has to do, it, it is pretty much this concept is responsible for the rise of socialism and communism in, in the ideology of a lot of our youth, because people are, being told you know people are people are pointing out the window and looking at you know all of these examples of horrible horrible corporations doing terrible things and then the the people responsible for teaching our youth are saying see that that's capitalism you don't want capitalism we need socialism where the government can control this sort of thing and it is poisoning the minds of a lot of people but the premise of that is completely wrong because we don't have real capitalism in Western countries these days. What we have is cronyism. We have fascism. We have, uh, we, and and I mean in that, I mean the the original German term where it means government plus you know the public private partnership, which is actually the same definition as as fascism. It's just a little bit more acceptable. We have a, a system that I call corporatism, and it effectively means an unholy melding of government and corporation and the, the regulatory atmosphere every single time that it, it, the, the way it works like is like this. First of all, you have a company 
True capitalism is a company where a person is in charge of a company and other people are responsible for running the company and the, you know, whatever the company does, the people uh, have to make sure that they are responsible for when, you know, when the company does good, the people make money. When the company does bad, the people are held accountable. That's, that's how capitalism is supposed to work. And ultimately the, the result is that if a company a company is incentivized to go, do good by its customers or it won't be in business but what about all the bailouts <laughs> well bailouts are are a problem um but i would point out the very first problem that we run into is the idea the very existence of a concept called a corporation why does a corporation exist well part of the reason it exists is to distribute corporate ownership over stockholders but that could be done without the other part, which which was the first major step that we took away from capitalism toward corporatism. And that is providing the corporation as a liability shield against or of the people who are making decisions for the corporation. When Bill Gates or uh, you know, um, uh, uh, what the hell's the guy at Twitter, uh, Mark Zuckerberg or uh, Jack um, Dorsey. Jack Dorsey, that's the guy I was looking for. Uh, when when one of them goes down and makes a decision, uh, we want you to, to you know to censor everybody in this half of the political spectrum. Um, we can't bring a lawsuit against Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg. We have to bring it against the company itself. Now that might not seem like a big deal, but it also means that criminal charges can't be filed against those people. Um, if let's take something that, that is, is a little bit less, uh, nuanced and, and something that everybody thinks is universally bad. If a, if a giant corporate, if a giant oil company, if, uh, BP British petroleum decides to dump an entire oil rig worth of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, who can you arrest? Well, you can't arrest anyone because there's no human. You can't arrest a corporation because it's not a real thing. But the people who may have even made the conscious decision to dump that oil because, I don't know, they would make more money that way. They are shielded from liability. And suddenly you have broken one of the chains that ties action to consequence. And everything in in real capitalism requires action to consequence it it requires people are responsible for what they do and the people who do best are the ones who are rewarded and and that's that's the incentive structure that is absolutely necessary to prevent or or at least disincentivize people from doing awful things every single time someone gives an example of oh look capitalism led this person to be completely antisocial and screw over everyone in the world for their own personal profit well if it was really capitalism, then the market would slap them down hard. And, and again, some people are into that because that isn't acceptable. But once you've created layers of bureaucracy, which are recognized as, you know, in all the laws recognize a corporation as a person who is now the liability shield. Once you create things like liability shield, there's no incentive structure. So. Well, which when, is exactly why there's a lot of one person corporations out there. Exactly. And and the even the term LLC, limited liability corporation, the whole reason you create one of those is so that you can go off and do horrible things and not be responsible for them. 
and you know limited liability i mean llc you can't do anything but there's a lot of things you can do once you're a part of a corporation that there are no consequences for and uh, i i understand exactly why young people today are shown examples of this shit happening and being told this is bad and it is bad and then they're being shown those same examples and saying this is capitalism it's not capitalism it's corporatism and the the corporatism is fed by the you know the corporation is a lobbying sh- uh, liability shield it's fed by the influence of lobbyists it's it's fed by uh special interests uh buying bureaucrats and politicians and bringing state regulation uh state contracts and subsidies every single time you know the the and and again, this is this is probably why I'm more anarchist than any other party. Um, every example you can pull back the curtain and see somewhere that the state, that the government stepped in and interfered with the mechanism of capitalism, and that's why the consequences aren't reaching the people making the decisions, and that's why people hate capitalism these days. And all these kids are viewing all of this information on their brand new iPhone because they're so against capitalism. Woo! I will I will never understand that part of it. <laughs> when all of these leftists that hate capitalism are walking around with the $1,000 plus iPhones like the... Uh, well, that's bread and circuses. Yeah, well, but it's like they don't understand that Apple is a big part of capitalism. Uh, come on. And, no, uh, no. Apple is something completely different. The reality distortion field uh, will will cloak them. It, it's it's from, a very strong, seen as, very yes. strong field. Uh, our buddy that's been on the show a couple of times, Brendan Kidwell from SmallComputer.us, wanted to know how you would uh, compare and contrast what's going on with Pornhub with the fact that Netflix paid for Cuties, which was being viewed as uh, somewhat pornographic. I mean, I didn't watch the movie, to be fair, so I. Don't want to comment too much on it. Adam Curry from No Agenda did and thought it was a lot of hot air, you know, and just maybe bad marketing more than anything else, because this concept again, and I don't know what the woman that made cuties was really trying to do. According to her, this was supposed to be a cautionary tale. And if so, you have to get some leeway. This is just like the Pogue song, Fairy Tale of New York. You know, the BBC saying they're not going to play it because there's lines like you scumbag, you faggot, you cheap, lousy maggot, you know, these kind of things. And Shane McGowan, the writer of the that's, song, was like, that's well, some choice pros right there. Yes. And he's like, Does, do they not understand, though? I'm writing the lines. I'm writing the dialogue for a character that's kind of an asshole. So, and, um, general art critic statement here if your audience doesn't understand your message then as an artist you failed to convey the message yeah just just trying to simplify that to a real easy concept there but if you're going to go after you know words that characters because there are you know characters in that particular song if you can't have that kind of language well then you can't have that language in anything And that's including movies and television. So it's like you're really starting to limit the kind of entertainment that could be made because you can't make entertainment any longer with characters that are racist because then that's offensive. You can't have characters that are sexist because that's offensive. You can't have characters that are transphobic because that's offensive. But, 
you know, the real world is actually filled with people like that. And is it doing better for the world to ignore this and pretend they don't exist or to, you know, shine a little light on things that are going on? And that's what I think good art is supposed to do is shine light on something and let people make their own decisions about it. Not like, well, no, you're shining a light on something that's bad. So we we can't we can't have you say that. I personally kind of support the I, the idea that nobody is allowed to make anything in Hollywood that reflects reality anymore. Because I don't, I don't know if you've noticed. Does Hollywood world, make anything that reflects reality now? No, no. And then the reason is exactly what you just said, that they can't show anything that depicts anybody who is is real because every real person is is racist every real person is is sexist or or transphobic or so yeah every I, from by their definition everybody who shows real human traits as opposed to mere pure virtue signaling is deplorable in some way and we can't depict them and the one reason that i support this is that it pretty much makes hollywood irrelevant and I'm okay with that because that is an industry that has been around for too long and needs to be shaken up. And if they can't figure out that the shit they're doing now doesn't work with most people, then they need to die and a new industry will take its place. I mean, I've already talked about already that lots and lots of really good shows are being made in places that are not Southern California. And one of the, you know, the practical reason why they're not made in Southern California is it's so goddamn expensive to make anything there anymore. So you have things being made in in Atlanta or Toronto or Vancouver, and you've got some very, very good shows. Most of the shows that I binge watch are made in in Vancouver, B.C. Why? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about. Uh, you know, science fiction shows that I'm binge watching, but every single time there'll be a scene somewhere and I look and I'm like, yep, that's a, that's a clearing of Douglas fir trees with that mountain in the background. And I recognize it as part of the Fraser Valley because that very clearing has been used in 12 different shows. And I'm even okay with that. Or, or they show some generic city skyline. You're like, yeah, that's Vancouver. I I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But what it means is that Vancouver is actually catering to shows that want to get something done without having to blow a you know $600 million budget. Well, and the shows are probably not on a major network and they're more of a fringe thing because that's the only way good entertainment is being made. Podcasts included, almost all podcasts are on the fringe. I mean, we understand there's a handful of them that are corporate owned and Rogan. Well, Rogan, definitely. And there's a lot of them with like the ladies from the office. I mean, there are some that are put out that are very polished and still under that control. But that is there was an article that the uh, podfather, Adam Curry, linked to, which I think was out of the UK again. But it was all this. Oh, these dangerous alt-right people, you know, the scary white supremacist type that have run to Gab and Parler. Well, we've gotten them off of Twitter and YouTube and all these other places, but do you know where they're going? Podcasts! We have to start looking at podcasts, and uh, I think that's next on the big list. I mean, now that they have been able to censor most anybody with a view that's not totally social justice warrior on the Twitter, on the YouTube, on the Facebook, I think podcasts are next and it's a scary place to be for uh, well, people that do free speech podcasts. 
I mean, you know, the Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, these are all places I don't go. Um, it, the censorship is uh, of podcasts is going to be absolutely real. In fact, uh, um, I, I, I didn't bring it to this show, but Adam Curry linked an article uh, earlier this week about Google podcasts who are talking about instituting uh, about dropping podcasts that don't conform to the same rules that YouTube is imposing. And what that means is that your default podcast app on Android is soon going to not include. Uh, well, it already doesn't include Alex Jones. It already doesn't, inc- but they are going, we are going to see, like you just said, a ton of podcasts that are going to be dropped, but they're going to be dropped from Google podcasts. They might be dropped from iTunes podcasts. Again, these do not have to be the gatekeepers. Uh, I don't, I don't remember. I, I think the URL is new podcast apps is, is one of the sites that is associated with all the apps that are attaching themselves to podcast index. Um, Adam Curry and Dave Jones couldn't have started this up at a better time. Well, they could have, they could have started it up a year and a half earlier because the censorship movement was already gaining steam then, but coming up with ways of preserving our uh, uh, possibly new platforms, um, possibly new, new systems. But the, I guess what I'm saying is, is, that Apple and Google and Facebook and Twitter are only the gatekeepers of all of our information. If you let them be and a, a theme that I have brought to the show ever since episode one is okay. You acknowledge that these companies are pure evil. So stop giving them the power to control what you see and think. Yeah. Leave the platforms and enter Cloudflare, which I read an article about that, which was which was basically like, you know, it really seems like they're owned by a three letter agency and are doing nothing but just sucking all of your data down. Because why else would somebody offer that service for free for so many websites? And they've never been hassled by the government for any of these pirate things. And it's like it's very interesting when you kind of think about how many people now are using yeah. the Cloudflare DNS. Oh, it's really fast, man. One, 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 one. Oh, yeah, it's easy. It's fast. But who's getting that data? I mean, that's uh, that's a really well, good not question. Not just DNS, the, the, the entire SSL certificate scam where uh, Cloudflare has offered benevolently to be the CDN for every small website on the internet. And why would you need that? Because otherwise you're going to get massive cert errors because of the HTTPS everywhere push that, you know, that Google has come out and completely delegitimized unencrypted content or unencrypted connections, which forces every website operator to go get a Cloudflare account and make sure that all of their traffic goes through somewhere like Cloudflare just to make sure that their CDN will function and they're not going to be giving their users SSL certificate errors, which with today's modern browsers are the death knell of a website. If a user ever sees uh, your certificate expired, your website is done. And yes, I don't know. It's, it's yet another cartel where um, the simple fact is there are a hell of a lot of web pages, a hell of a lot of full websites where you are only disseminating public information. There is no reason this shit needs to be encrypted. Well, and the browser 
concept is something I think important to point out in relation to the podcast concept, because there's a lot of people who I don't think still have a clue that you could get something besides Microsoft Edge. You know, I mean, it's, it comes with the machine they bought. It's the browser. They start using it and never even give a thought to, well, that there is the evil Chrome or there is Firefox or there is, you know, the Brave browser or the Dissenter browser or, you know, the long list of browsers that are out there because they just think, well, a browser is Microsoft Edge. And how do you get the word out then for the people that are, you know, that kind of closed off. And I think my parents are kind of in this category that if I wouldn't tell them, well, here, I'm going to download this, use this for the internet, you know, use Firefox or whatever. They would be the ones that would be like, okay, there's a podcast app that shows up on my iPhone or my Android phone. That's what I should be using. How do you let people know that those main apps are looking to be you know, let's just say they go the woke route. As you said, they already don't have Alex Jones and a few other choice people, but say they decide to go fully woke. How do you even work that educational thing out to let everybody know? It's like, no, what you really want to do is download, you know, podcast addict or something and use the podcast index listing, not the, the Apple listing. Word of mouth. Yeah. And let me tell you, it's not efficient and it's especially made a lot less efficient when People are tied, you know, the, the only people online that anyone talks to is over their Facebook. They're not going to get anything. And at some point, people are going to have to realize that these platforms are not good for them. And I don't know what you do for the people who are completely tied into Facebook and Twitter and don't imagine that there's anything else out there and are not aware enough to realize that they're being lied to. Those, those people might be lost. Uh, but Word of mouth is the one authentic communication medium that we still have that allows people to get what people really think and not be filtered through corporate. Right. Um, But the the one data point I will give you with regards to the browser is that my mom does not use edge. She runs Chrome because people that she trusted who were not me because she didn't trust me um, told her that you can't use the Microsoft browser. You need to use this other one. And she went out and figured out how to install it. Now, Chrome is an awful choice. And frankly, I I trust edge better than Chrome, but it, it does mean that just because it's the browser that came on your operating system doesn't mean it's the only one that you can use. I feel like Chrome at least has reached that point where there's enough word of mouth out there that even non-technical people are saying, yeah, uh, you shouldn't trust the Microsoft browser. Use this Google one. Now that trust is misplaced, but it does demonstrate the point that if enough, you know, enough people will move off of the defaults. Yes. And uh, Microsoft is having some of their own problems this week, which we're about to get into. But Omega Project brings up something that we've talked about before as well, which is then what happens when Google starts censoring. Of course, this is then when you need to teach people that there's an alternate app store from the Google play store, because uh, once the play store goes, Oh yeah. Podcast addict they're They're using this dangerous podcast index listing this Adam Curry thing. We, we can't have that. Then uh, this is where we have to start thinking, you know, all the way down the line, because this is where all of this censorship I think is going. And it's, it's, it's a whack-a-mole game and it's going to take them a little bit of time But if the Google Play Store decides that they're going to start getting rid of the podcast apps and it's 
you know, even more nefarious when it comes to the Apple devices that so many people use and love that the Apple App Store is the only one available for that ecosystem unless you jailbreak your phone. And then we're going down a whole nother line of teaching people how to do things to their devices to get them to do what they want. Because if Apple decides, well, podcast index or podcast addict or podcast, you know, all of these apps, if they don't conform to what they like, if podcast index is going to show that, you know, that dangerous, grumpy old Ben's podcast or Alex Jones, well, then we're just going to take them completely off of our platform. And in the, in the case of Apple, I don't really know if there is anything that can be done besides jailbreaking your phone. And I don't think that 90 some odd percent of Apple users are ever going to figure that, that out and do it, even though it's not all that hard to do. I just don't think they're willing to jump through the hoops to do it. And they'll just look at their phone and they'll look at the Apple store and they'll look at the Apple podcast list and they'll be like, huh, I've heard of this grumpy old Ben show, but uh, it's not listed. So maybe they just don't do it anymore. I'll just move on to something that at the mothership over in, uh, you know, wherever Apple is now in Cupertino or where, wherever Apple is that they said, it's okay. Here's a listing of stuff that I could listen to. And of course we need to trust Apple and where this kind of stuff stops. I don't know. And I don't know. Well, if it, 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 it stops when, like I said, it stops when you have somebody that you trust tell you that, Hey, by the way, you know, go out to newpodcastapps.com and you will find a whole lot of stuff. And it, it like when no agenda eventually gets deplatformed off of, of Google and, and Apple's index, then, you know, it'll be the, the phrase hitting people in the mouth where you introduce them. Hey, check out this, you know, Hey, check out this grumpy old Ben's. These guys are, you know, they're really angry, but everything they say is correct. <laughs> and then you introduce that to someone and they're like, hey, well, I couldn't find it in my Apple. They're like, well, let me show you a different app that you should be using. If you can that, get it, that is how Apple it works. Ecosystem. And it has to happen. It has to happen one person at a time. Yes. And I think that is, you know, it'll be much more viable to do that in the Android ecosystem. Apple, I think could shut people off much easier. Although Apple then faces the consequence, you know, say the Joe Rogan show gets deplatformed on Apple. You know, he has millions of listeners. If they all decide to go, well, then I'm getting rid of my Apple device and going to another company. See, this is where capitalism starts working again. And that starts making more sense. But when it comes to a show like No Agenda, I'm surprised that they've never been pinged yet by PayPal. Because we've heard other people having problems with PayPal. If No Agenda gets a uh, you know message, well, I don't even know if you'll get a message. If they just get the alert that your PayPal account's been frozen and closed, the show's got a real problem because they don't have, I mean, I understand they have a PO box that people can send things to, but there is no other easy system currently set up. And I don't know what the answer is because all of these, you know, if, if you're going to get hit on PayPal, you know, aren't you going to get hit on pretty much any other one of these sites that you can set up? I mean, it's all a whack-a-mole game again. I don't know. There doesn't seem to be one particular and I guess this would have to be a financial institution of some way, shape or form that's willing to take payments and say, you know, go for we're free speech. Go do your thing. Are we really getting to the point where some kind of crypto is going to be the only answer for any of this stuff? We, we might reach that point if I, I, I keep 
thinking that it might be possible at some point for someone to create a financial institution that chooses not to censor based on things that have nothing to do with finances. Uh, but it is really easy if you work within the system for the system to come back and push on you to, you know, sit down or shut up. It, if for no other reason than, you know, MasterCard, for example, can just decide that they are never going to process any payments to your bank if you set up a bank that still values free speech. Right. Um, I think it's possible, but it, it's going to be a long and painful road and it's going to require raising awareness and shifting pop popular opinion. And right now, popular opinion is that it sure is nice to go to Amazon.com and click on the picture of what I want and it just arrives at my doorstep. And all I know is that my, you know, the credit card that I had on file gets charged and I don't care because they'll send me a bill at the end. It, 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 convenience really, really destroys a lot of things that that could otherwise, you know, make change happen. Well, the end run around this is is what. Uh, what podcast index is trying to do, which is uh, pushing for a uh, cryptocurrency, uh, Bitcoin thunder. Um, maybe Litecoin, that works. Yeah. Maybe it Monero. Uh, yeah. And, and maybe, maybe crypto will, will catch on to the point this works and maybe, uh, maybe it'll die like a flash in the pan. I, I don't know. Um, I, I used to have a lot of confidence in all of my predictions, but 2020 has completely <laughs> destroyed a number of assumptions about human nature for me. Yeah. Uh, but what I can tell you is that it is currently as implemented, it is resistant to regulation by elitist organizations right up until they control the miners. And then, well, Bitcoin might be lost that way, but it doesn't look like that's happening yet. Yeah. When I asked if uh, crypto was where we're going, Progo, Brendan Kidwell had a simple answer, said yes. Although the only question for me is then you have to be able to take that money and get it to exist in the real world. So that that last yeah. step is always, always a problem, at least right now. I mean, now, if, if we get to a world where I can pay for, you know, gasoline with crypto and I can pay for my groceries with the same crypto, then it's great because then I could just take all this in as my, uh, you know, income coming in in crypto and then spend it the same way. But we're not we're not quite there yet. But I, I saw an that, article that was. That was the that was exactly the scenario that we were sold back in the day when people said, hey, look, Bitcoin, it, it'll be a new form of currency and everyone will take it. And pretty clearly, we're not at a point where everybody accepts that. And uh, that was the big complaint that people like Adam Curry was making back when he was still Bitcoin skeptical and not completely <laughs> all on board, yes. which is that until you can pay your rent with it, it's not a currency. And, well, yeah. and that much is true. Um, it is still a store of value, um, but it, it still has the disadvantage that at the end of the day and the beginning of the day, you have to convert it back and forth between fiat currency or, or whatever currency is accepted by your landlord and the currency that was used online. And that conversion process has two downsides. One, and both of them have to do with a middleman. Uh, one is that a middleman will be taking a portion of that money. And, you know, that's it's usury. It's it goes all the way back to the Middle Ages when they were, you know, persecuting the money lenders. Um, right. It, middlemen are, works that way. Middlemen are expensive. And then more importantly, the one that really bothers me 
is that uh, if you have to go through somewhere like, well, I think the only one I know is Coinbase, but but somewhere that converts the money between Bitcoin and real or fiat, um, they can shut it off. They can shut you off. And I, I really can't abide signing on wholeheartedly with any platform where somebody can come in and just shut off my means of existence. Yeah, well, this is where I saw an article. I thought it was interesting on where we're going as a society. And this all pointed back to which grumpy old Ben's episode Straight to what, hell in a handbasket. Yeah. But which episode did we talk about convenience culture? Because you just mentioned how easy it was just, uh, for for Amazon to do this stuff. And there was an was article. Early. I think it was like episode three. Yes. I mean, this is we, we hit cashless and then we hit convenience culture and this whole concept because of the COVID-19 thing really accelerating this talked about how many people are just going to be fine living in their own personal bubbles, getting everything just brought to their door. The, the concept was, you know, it used to be, you had to go out to be entertained, but not anymore. I mean, you can stay home and get all, I mean, to be fair, my home theater has been way better than going to a theater for over 10 years. So that's that the yeah. the fact that concerts start getting screwed up by everybody with their cell phones, holding them up. You know what? I'd much rather pay for a concert and watch it live while it streams to my big screen TV. So it's getting to the point to where entertainment at home is very easy. Getting food delivered to your home. Very easy. You can even get your groceries delivered. Every need you have is now in your house. Why do we ever even need to go outside? This was the whole concept of this and while this would have seemed to be very sci-fi a year ago now it seems much more realistic it's amazing how quick the world changed because of a virus well we'll tell you one one reason why you might need to go outside is because if you don't you'll end up at five eight and three hundred pounds <laughs> wait i could shrink <laughs> you you could in fact well, then I'm getting some sunshine. I want to stay yeah, six, you five, better six, go six. Outside. Yeah. That vitamin D is really important for keeping your bones. Yes, it is. Existent. Yeah. Which is why I got the vitamin D supplement, because that's the magic. That is the magic for uh, this COVID, along with some of these other drugs. But there are tech stories. And uh, the one I know you have the solar winds part of this. I have a slightly different a bent that I've been seeing in a couple different places. One, this came from the ITWire.com. Well, get bent for me. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. This said uh, Microsoft software once again proven to be the weak link and opened the path for cyber attacks, this time to the U.S. Treasury Department and an entity that deals with Internet and telco policy. The network management software SolarWinds appears to have opened the door for other agencies to be attacked. Now, there is some question about this. Because of- uh, the, the, the first question I did, you just read that paragraph? Yes. OK, I I don't I don't want to crash on your whole thing. But what I just heard is somehow Microsoft is the weak link because the solar wind software is allowing a, a, an attack. Uh, th- well, I don't know. The I, there's a cause winds- and effect thing that I'm not seeing, but go on. There was no cause and effect. They're saying the solar winds was the other entities that were attacked but the treasury specifically was allegedly a microsoft office 365 thing although i don't again this is why i don't necessarily believe all of this because they're pointing to the russians and the article here in it wire points out 
that the Washington Post reported Russian attackers hit the Treasury and also hit FireEye. So this is from the Washington Post. But then they point out that the same Post reporter who wrote the story is the exact same reporter who started the now discarded theory that Russia was responsible for the email links to WikiLeaks during the 2016 <laughs> presidential election. So, see, this is important perspective. So, so what you're saying is that a reputable publication would not employ this person anymore. Probably Good not. Good thing he's still at the Washington Post. Yes, yeah, four years later after, you know, after that monstrosity. But it seems like. Does, does this idiot have a name? Oh, let's see. Washington Post reporter. Uh, is it. Chris Bing, maybe there's a couple different things here that are uh, that are well, being, with a name uh, like Bing. You know, he's a Microsoft chill. If, if not an AI, well, that, see, they're not even smart enough to name their AIs. Or get, come up with a fake <laughs> last name. It's just Bing. So we Bing it. We Bing it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it seems like maybe there was something that happened at the Treasury that I can believe how, again, you immediately point to. The Russians, we've talked a lot, including when we talked about the Winston privacy device and stuff in the last episode and all about VPNs over the last 20, 50 episodes, whatever it's been, that we've really been kind of delving into some of that stuff. The, the ability to be able to point to, hey, I know who hacked me. Now, if it's somebody that is good enough to hack the United States Treasury, I'm guessing they might have the ability to cover their tracks. I'm just saying if if they if they were smart enough and good enough to hack into the United States registry, I'm hoping they also know how to cover their tracks because they use those things. When, if there was somebody so dumb, they're going to leave a breadcrumb right back to who they are. They're usually not smart enough to break into high level systems. But maybe this is just me being stupid. I I, I don't think you're capable of that, but keep trying. Yeah. I'm working on it. I mean, I keep going with logic and I don't necessarily yeah, stop it. You'll necess never be stupid at that rate. <laughs> they keep going down a different path. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> I, I first learned about this this morning after I got up and was groggy and was trying to choke down my first cup of, of cold coffee and uh, heard about what's this about Treasury Department being hacked. So I went in and did a search now. The one thing I did differently was when I when I started trolling the news sites, I intentionally skipped over articles that came from places like the Washington Post um, landed on BBC, which contained some information. Um, but, you know, me, I like technical information. So ZDNet was where I, I got my first thing. And then I ended up going into um, uh, security advisories from SolarWinds.com, from FireEye.com and from Microsoft. Um, I don't know if that's the best place, but, uh, I've got some technical details. If, if it's the kind of thing you're interested in, I think that's what the grumpy old Ben's experts would like to know. Okay. How did this happen? So here, here is my understanding. Um, the, we, we reported, was it Friday or was it sometime last week? Um, we reported on a, a hack into FireEyes pen test tools. And, um, the type of hack that was used was incredibly sophisticated. And at least according to FireEye, they believed that it was clearly state sponsored. Now I'm not a hundred percent convinced that just because an attack is sophisticated, it must be state sponsored. I think corporations have even more resources than states if they really wanted to do that sort of thing. 
And it, you know, once it's been done once, then, then hacking organizations, regardless of who's sponsoring them can probably pull it off. But right. It's a very sophisticated attack, which involved uh, manually going into systems and compromising. And usually, uh, you know, there's some element of social engineering, but whatever the case is, um, CyberEye or uh, FireEye, I'm sorry, is completely convinced that the same type of attack was used on them as was used on a pro uh, company called SolarWinds. And here's where the attack gets nefarious. And here's where uh, Sir Bemro starts to gloat because uh, of things that he's been saying for months and months and months. Um, the attack from SolarWinds, uh, what happened was once they got into one of SolarWinds servers and got into the right one of SolarWinds services. And by the way, SolarWinds runs, uh, they, they produce a product called Orion which is uh, a monitoring and management software. It allows IT staff remote access, monitoring emails, um, you know, important stuff that if you want to control an entire network, it's kind of useful. So an attacker got into SolarWinds sometime between March and June and uploaded a Trojan into their auto update system. Nice. Then the SolarWinds software, who like everybody, just Take our updates, trust everything that we offer. We'll, we know what's right for you. Pushed out this Trojan to every single IT department that uses the Orion software to monitor or manage their devices. The, uh, you know, if you know, all of your, all of your IT resources, all of your, you know, they manage tablets, they manage phones. If, if the company issues phones, it probably has this Orion app on it. Um, whenever IT department issues a computer, it has this management software on it, which management software basically means a, a, a remote, a remote code execution backdoor that the IT department has access to. That's, um, you know, they they all used um this was all on windows computers and they all used microsoft domain software which was one of the key characteristics and and for that i you know microsoft uh well i can't blame microsoft for being vulnerable i can blame microsoft for putting together a system that makes it really really easy for it and for anybody who has hacked your your it management software and put a trojan into it to modify everything um so the malware which uh microsoft is calling solar gate and FireEye is calling sunburst um it contains a, a backdoor it is in solarwinds.orion.core.businesslayer.dll which is a dll file which is pushed out to every single device and is automatically launched every time that Anything happens with the Orion software. Every time anybody in IT wants to manage something, you know, once an hour it phones home all the time anyway. So it wakes this thing up all the time. Um, it tries the the Trojan will try to resolve a, a website, uh, a domain, avsvmcloud.com. Uh, it will go to that. It will grab uh, jobs from that site. Uh, jobs are whatever it is that the attacker wanted to run. Um, it, it's fairly sophisticated. You can uh, sort jobs based on 
on what domain is compromised. You can sort jobs based on, on the company name. You can sort jobs based on the position in a company. So you can say, I want only anybody with VP level access or above in the company who's behind the domain, uh, grumpyoldbens.com. And it, it will, it will sift out that, um, the backdoor, the Trojan can transfer files, execute code, profile the system, disable services, and even reboot a system remotely. Um, it hides itself as normal Orion management traffic, the Orion system, the, the way that the, the, the devices communicate with their mothership in the IT department is they pass XML blobs back and forth. And what this thing does is it passes XML blobs and then using steganography, it creates a bunch of, of no op XML blobs that look exactly like the normal management system, except that it has goods and hex strings in these blobs that look like nothing, but it'll be like, pick the, the seventh bit out of this and the 40th bit out of this, and it'll create its commands that way. So it's really pretty well hidden genius uh, really yeah it's it's kind of frightening because if you are just scanning network packets all you're going to see is this management software's xml files going back and forth and you crack them open and you're like well that's just a you know a couple hex codes what does it mean right well this um, this really reminds me of like uh, you know star trek when it was like well i'll just piggyback the signal on this and then nobody will see it that's what they're doing. Um, and then uh, another thing that they're doing is uh, the Trojan will always set a command and control infrastructure, which mimics the Orion command and control server. And they will take the name of one of the leg- local host names within the victim's environment. So if you have a server called, you know, I don't know if you have a server called Fred on your network, it might set up a command and control server called Fred. And all you see in the the traffic is it's sending all these XML blobs back and forth to Fred. And like, well, I don't know why it's talking to Fred, but you know, we're, we're friends. Anyways, it, <laughs> yeah. It does a ton of things that make it look like legitimate. Uh, it, oh, another thing it does is um, when, when it profiles the system, it always will, will, you know, scan through the system, try to get a bunch of data. And just in case somebody wants to retrieve that data from the the attacker, um, it stores that data amongst the XML config files. So you're you're not going to see random new thing. What you're going to see is something is writing to the config directory. Oh well, it, it's probably taking new new settings or something. Right, updates. It, this is this is a really really devious Trojan. Um. So, anyways, uh, both. FireEye and Microsoft have added detection of this Trojan to their company's uh, antivirus. Um, I'm not sure what FireEye's antivirus is called. It's a it's an enterprise solution. Um, Microsoft has added it to Windows Defender. So if you haven't completely disabled Defender, you should be able to find this on your system. Um, FireEye has included uh, and and I can drop this link into the show notes again. Um, they have li- given a GitHub dump of countermeasures against this trojan if you find it um and uh, a number of things you can use to detect it and uh if we go back to the departments of uh you know the u.s government departments 
the both the Treasury and Commerce Department have admitted and put out uh, um, public statements that they were hacked and they were hacked via SolarWinds Orion software. So at least two departments in the federal government use Orion software for managing the their bureaucrats computer in the IT department. Uh, I would be absolutely shocked if those were the only departments that used it. So I think we are probably going to get more announcements and there's probably going to be no shortage of departments where they don't announce it. They just kind of try to sweep under the rug. The fact that they were also hacked. Well, yeah, Um, it's not just government because Orion software is also used by a large number of corporations. Uh, In particular, they called out banking services. Uh, This is a huge fucking hack because every single person that did what everyone is supposed to do and just downloaded the automatic update that solar winds put out was immediately affected. Uh, the update came out sometime between March and June. They believe is when the, when this Trojan came out, um, everybody who did what they were supposed to do and downloaded the, the update immediately became infected. And of course, it's impossible to know just how many places that this has has been a problem and how much data has been exfiltrated to God knows where. Uh, again, FireEye says this is clearly a state actor. Um, they did not mention Russia, um, but I, I mean, there are only so many state actors out there with the capability of doing state level things. So maybe it's a state actor. And if it is, it's got to be, you know, Russia, US, China, not many other places. Um, And Progo's mentioning that his company was affected by this. So he'll have some good information for us on this whole thing. And well, this is the most nefarious thing when it's coming from something like an update, because even like you said, if you do everything right, even if you're a government agency and it's like, well, you know, I'm blocking all IP addresses except the ones we need. Well, the one you needed was for this software that you're downloading from the company that you allegedly trusted incorrectly, I guess. But you have, uh, well, you know, it opened I, the door. I, I mean, I, I get any IT worker in a business like this wanting to trust it because re- remote management systems for IT are a godsend. You can't do IT for a big organization without something like this. But yeah, they they got screwed through no fault. These companies and and government departments got screwed through no fault of their own because solar winds got compromised. Solar winds got compromised by what they called a manual attack, which probably means something tailored to a person. They probably got some secretary's login and used that to bootstrap up to the VPs. I don't know. I don't know what the attack was. But it it was it was custom. It was one off and it was very, very involved. Well, the question just brings up for me is for government agencies, one, should they actually be using the regular Internet? Okay, two, should they be using Microsoft Office 365? Yeah, I mean, I understand you want to outsource some stuff, but it seems like the outsourcing this stuff is what's causing the issue. And that's opening the door. I mean, we pay billions of dollars to the federal government. Why don't they hire their own coders and write their own stuff? That would be that. You know, that is the scariest thing you have ever suggested <laughs> on this show. Is it? I, I thought it was good stuff. <laughs> that is that is one of the most frightening things you've ever said. Learn to code. 
<laughs> I didn't say learn to code. I said, but why, you know, why are they running? Well, somebody at the federal government would have to. Well, that's true. They would have to hire somebody. And then I guess it's all depending on, uh, you know, who you trust. Because if you hired a coder, I mean, no, they, they wouldn't they hired- hire anybody. They would contract it out to to Google and say, please write us something that that is secure and runs the whole government. I, I, <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's fucking frightening. Yes. Yeah. OK. So- so we get the mitigations. Gov- get the government off the internet. That's the that's bullet plug. How about we just fucking get the government off of everything? I, just pull, I, oh, pull I'm sorry, my the inner government. anarchist might be leaking out again. Yeah. But it's amazing how much less problems would be caused by the government if there was less government. But anyway, um, CISA, the cyber and I, I don't know cyber dhs cyber intelligence um, security agency maybe is that it okay maybe um it's it's cyber.dhs.gov did issue an emergency directive 21-01 apparently they are already operating in 2021 but okay um they're from the future they their recommendation and this this applies to all government agencies is uh here are some steps to detect it um the moment you detect uh, if you have the means and expertise, then disc, uh, then uh, image the systems and analyze traffic. Um, and and they they actually want you to image every affected system so that you can figure they can figure out what's going on. Um, but everybody, whether you know or not, they say disconnecting affected devices is the only known mitigation measure currently available, which means that they have issued a directive. They issued this yesterday to shut down everything that uses the orion software disconnect from the domain do not under any circumstances rejoin your any computer to a domain until um told otherwise and to block all internet traffic so um this is gonna this is fucking disruptive this is government shutdown level yeah yeah now a better news with regards to uh, mitigation is the fact that SolarWinds, who did issue a security advisory, say that they expect that on either Tuesday the 15th or Wednesday the 16th, they will have a patch that they will push out to all affected systems. Now, that doesn't help any system that has already been affected. Which it should be mean, all of them. Which is probably all of them. <laughs> what it does mean is that if you take this patch, uh, now, it, it's nice that they're they're not going to be new infections is what they're going to get. So it, IT people are apparently going to be asked to wipe their management infrastructure for SolarWinds Orion and to completely reinstall this with the new patch. Um, I don't know. Well, I don't know if it's going to be a wipe or reinstall. It seems like if, if you've been compromised this badly, that's the only thing that can work is is take off a nucleoside from orbit. Right. Depending but, that if there's something not hidden, I, obviously, if, if you are if you are a customer of solar winds and you running the Orion, you'll get more detailed description than I'm going to get out of the the public security advisory. Um, but sometime in the next two days, uh, solar winds is going to release a patch will which will at the very least allow you to run your Orion software without risk of creating newly infected systems however every system that has been affected which at this point you have to assume is pretty close to every system in every organization um may need 
to be completely torn down and rebuilt from scratch. Uh, I don't envy the IT people who are putting up with this or the the frontline workers who just want to get their job done and are now going to be stuck in a queue for a couple of days where yeah. they're told you don't have a computer. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's not the uh, excuse me preferred way to do things. We can we can say that. And uh, this is just showing. I mean, I was reading an article, I forget which malware it was the other day, but how it, you know, hid itself. And when it saw a shutdown command coming, I mean, it was picking like random places to hide itself. And it was just like writing it right before the computer shut down to, as to hide it from oh, yeah. detection. It's like it's some of the stuff they've come up with. I mean, it's genius. Well, that's and that's you- not new. That That's, by the way, how uh, Adobe Auto Updater managed to somehow uh evade all attempts to get remove it from the auto restart or the it, i don't know i i think it was adobe i i remember dealing with this 10 years ago trying to track down some auto updater that i was so fucking <laughs> sick of it running every single time i booted my computer i'm like why why is this constantly running right you're like it doesn't exist until you you go in and you're like okay it's not in the run key it's not in the startup folder what the hell is launching this magic yeah kind of and and it some of it was like for example there there was at least one updater which uh any time that it received it, it would actually spawn a child process um that would it would like for example it would uh, if it ever received a shutdown signal or a terminate signal, it would immediately write itself to the run once key in the registry so that it would be run once on launch. And then Windows would automatically remove the entry because that's what the once means. Uh, and, and then something that would spawn a child process that that if you killed it, it would wait 60 seconds and then restart it because you can't restart immediately or the person will just notice and kill it again. I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the the testing bed for malware was some of those auto update systems from 10 years ago. Yeah. And usually they were done in the name of copyright and content management, you know, you're controlled. So whether or not you could use the program that you purchased, but there was an article the other day. And and by the way, Progo completely nailed the problem that I just described, which is windows doesn't have software subscription channels. Windows does not have a way a generic OS baked in way for new software to put, be put on the system and for existing software to be updated without rolling its own. And so every single software package had to roll its own. And this is a huge fucking mess. And it's something that windows, the the only time they've ever tried to solve it was when uh, they solved it with the Apex packages and then said, and then somebody higher up. And I know this cause I was on windows eight. Um, we, we created something awesome in the Apex package, which was a totally self-contained piece of software that kind of behaved like an app and would have completely na- nailed it and would have been great for everything. And then higher up, they said, you know what? We're going to limit this to our brand new app store because we want Windows to be an app store and nobody gives a fuck about the Windows app store. And so Apex packages died on the vine. Yeah. I mean, I know I don't. But this, again, just shows how different people use computers in completely different ways, because I just set up a brand new machine again over, you know, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it Um, only went to the Windows App Store when forced, which was for a uh, uh, an app that 
splits up Q files. So if you have a really large FLAC file, uncompressed Is that audio like Q drops, kind of. And I hate them because they're CUE files and the whole album shows up in one big FLAC file. And then the Q file, you can take that and you can pull the Q file into your audio, whatever you use to listen to audio. And it will then separate them into separate tracks, but it acts as just an album rather than individual tracks. And I like to just grab a track because doing like the rock and roll pre-show, I just want one track. I don't want the whole damn album. So there is a uh, a program that you take the Q file and it takes those, the big flack file, or it could be, you know, ape. It could be whatever audio format you want to use. Ape is one from way back. Um, SHN, you know, shorten. But it would take this and then convert those to, well, not convert. It would split them up without re-encoding into the individual files. And this was the only thing I ran into when I went to their website and downloaded the program and then started it up. And it was a very old version. And it's like, click here for updates. And it took me to the damn Windows store. But that's the only thing. Everything else, I don't even remember it exists. I just go directly to the people I buy the software from and download it like I've always done. Yeah, and and that's because the the vast majority of software for Windows is still Win32. Microsoft came out with this. I, uh, uh, everything that I know about this came out during Windows 8 because I literally worked on this. Um, my group during Windows 8 was the Windows runtime group. We were involved in in creating the the winrt api the win uh, called the windows runtime which was originally envisioned as this can ultimately turn into a replacement for win32 but here's what happened at the same time there was another group we worked very closely with who created uh, apex packages which were a, a file format and system in the os which was designed to make installation and complete full uninstallation seamless and easy. They created a way to install and uninstall apps um, and, and to fully contain them. This would have been the, the thing that Microsoft had been missing forever. Um, during the course of Windows 8, the Windows runtime got scaled back a little bit to the point where it was no longer a replacement for Win32. But for desktop apps, it was still possible to use the Windows runtime and use Win32 simultaneously. So you could still write your full app and, and you could still use it. And it turns out that because we weren't fully replacing Win32, most people didn't want to even bother looking at the Windows runtime because they thought, well, we don't want to rewrite everything. And right. that's a pretty rational thing for a programmer to do. So the decisions made higher up, one was to scale back the Windows runtime to not be a full replacement, which meant... People were not going to rewrite all their programs. Combine that with Apex, which was an amazing possibility that could have become the way that software gets on and off the system seamlessly. None of that running your uninstaller. No, the Apex package actually says the only place your installer is allowed to put things is in the directory we set up and we'll go ahead and clean it up. You don't have to run code. It it was amazing. You know, everything that had to be registered or anything was part of a manifest so that the system could, you didn't have to worry about, oh, does the uninstaller going to leave registry crap in? Anyways, we all know the problems with installers and uninstallers. They, they never fully uninstall everything and installers mean running arbitrary code as, as admin. 
So but what the is problem with the problem with the Apex and the Windows runtime is they were both amazing technologies that could have been awesome. And instead, the higher ups decided that the third thing that they were introducing in Windows 8, because it was going to be the tablet OS, was they introduced the first version of the Windows Store. And they said Apex packages will only be for Windows Store apps, which nobody wanted. And Windows runtime will only be available in Windows Store apps. So they managed to take two very promising new technologies that were developed during Windows 8 and completely kill them by putting them in in a place where the only things that could use them is these fucking broken limited functionality store apps. Now I was going to ask if you have an opinion on this and I know you have an opinion No, on, I'm, I'm pretty neutral on everything uh the, Other the, than they totally killed the technology that I thought was really fucking cool and spent a couple of years working on. No, no, no I don't know. The, I, want, I don't know if you have an opinion on things like, and I know there's various ones. The latest one I, I played around with was IOBit. There's a software company which has an uninstaller that will do the basically the decrapify thing, which is besides just following the uninstaller, because as we've talked about in the past. When an installer installs a program, they also leave an uninstaller, which says, hey, if somebody wants to uninstall, right, here's the theory that you you do this to uninstall. And none of that ever takes the crap out of the registry or anything like that. And there are third party apps out there that will monitor this and then go, "Okay, well, that claim to be able to. Yes. And some I'm sure do it better than others. Now, do you think there's any validity? in using these programs at all do you think they cause more problems than they than they I fix? don't personally think there's any validity in running a program or program that needs an installer uh this is I've, <laughs> I've, I've discussed for, okay, this for before. the average person I've discussed this before I want to I want the portable version of every single one of them so that I can take your binaries and drop them in a directory myself and know that if I clean up that directory I should be good but that's not how the world works for the average person it's just, I mean, because I know CC Cleaner used to be regarded as, hey, this is great software. And then it turned into this is malware. You know, I mean, there is. Well, that's that's the trick, isn't it? Yes. Um, it, it, it purports to solve a problem that Microsoft has done a piss poor job of solving. And it may even solve that problem slightly better. Nothing is going to fully solve that problem because the in, the inherent characteristic of an installer, the way that Microsoft has it set up is that an installer is an arbitrary exe, which in order to quote, install the program, it says, do anything you want to modify the system. And most installers will then take that opportunity to write to a brand new directory in the programs file and write to a brand new key in the HKLM software. And then drop a few binaries and an uninstaller and be done but it can do anything. It can install drivers. It can modify settings. It can disable your antivirus. It can write Trojans. It it can write to arbitrary registry keys. It can go in and replace DLLs of other programs. It Installers have the ability to do all of this. And I guarantee there is no cleaner out there that is capable of monitoring Everything that can possibly change in the entire system and put it back the right way. So there will be installers that get past these. Yes. Well, which now, is why combine that with 
combine that with the fact that, like you just said, you've got yet another piece of software that you have to trust. Right. And, and you have to run. And, you know, it, it, do you trust Microsoft more than CC Cleaner? Well, no, it, maybe you do now. <laughs> but back in the day, people trusted CC Cleaner more. Right. Uh, who, who, who's I mean, do you trust uh, <laughs> do you trust SolarWinds Orion? Well, a lot of people did up until today. Yeah. No, not anymore. But this is why there's such a large business in fixing issues another company causes. You know, that's that is the software you know, equivalent for, uh, for this new microphone that I just purchased. Although it, it's very similar because I have the, the little brother of this microphone, the electro voice that Adam Curry uses and the shock mount, the bands. I mean, I think you have a shock mount with your microphone there and, you know, the little like rubber bands that help suspend oh, yeah. it. So it doesn't move around the, the bands that come with the, the shock mount, were crap to the point where they couldn't hold the weight of the microphone. <laughs> nice. So if you moved it, the little metal thing would actually make contact with other little metal pieces, which is the opposite of what you want to happen. Yeah, that, that usually makes noise. Yes, that's the opposite of what you want in the shock mount. But when I got the new microphone, they also included another one of the uh, another one of the shock mounts, which was good because I mean, getting free stuff is always good, but. I ordered from a company I found out of Las Vegas who does nothing in for a business except makes replay heavy duty replacement bands for this particular microphone shock mount. And they also make a replacement nut to to hold it to your uh, to your uh, mic stand if you you want that to. Now, the nut was thirty five bucks. The four little rubber bands was i think 20 bucks plus like eight dollar shipping i ordered some expensive rubber bands yes but they do work way better than the ones that come with it and i'm thinking these guys are making a ton well they're making a you you know what you just described a bit capitalism capitalism that's exactly that's exactly the word i was going to bring up yes (laughs) because these guys are doing it better and it's a a replacement piece and my wife looked at these rubber things and she's like so like grand total for these guys to make it what, like a quarter? I'm like, probably. And people are paying 20 bucks for it because you're using it with, you know, three, four, five hundred dollar microphones and, you know, big stands. And so this is this is genius. And they do eventually wear out because rubber doesn't stay good forever. But the the quality of these things way better than came on the shock mount. There's no question about it. And it spawned a business. It was beautiful. Somebody saw a problem. And they came up with a solution. So yeah. I, I dig and, it. And they, they came up with a solution and they decided to exchange that solution for currency. Th- this is this is how capitalism is supposed to work is somebody sees a problem and solves it and people pay for it. This is perfect. Yes. I, now, we have cautioned you. And this is this is uh, some advice for anybody who goes into business is that it is dangerous to create a business wrapped around somebody else's business, uh, especially when they don't care. And in this case, sure could release their next microphone with quality rubber bands. And these people (laughs) would be out of business. It's electro voice. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Sure. The, uh, sure. No, electro voice, electro voice. Yes. And well, and this, I got the, uh, you know, these are the cheap Chinese knockoff is the company that made the, uh, the shock mount and the thing that connects it to the boom arm. The, so the shock mount basically with the, 
the holder, whatever they would call that part. It's made by a company called Aure, A-U-R-E-Y or A-Y. But I looked up reviews because the, the this version of this, which again came free with both microphones when I ordered, this version cost like 40 bucks, which is still kind of expensive for a shock mount. The real electro voice version, which, you know, again, looks exactly the same, functions exactly the same, a hundred bucks because you're paying for the brand name, like everything else. But I looked up reviews because I'm like, well, how are, how are the rubber bands that come with the real hundred dollar one? Same complaint that they're crap, that they fail after a few months. So uh, it's like I'm definitely going with the cheap Chinese knockoff and just buying better bands. And it's working perfectly. I can't make the thing uh, hit the side of the cage. So that's good, at least for now. We'll see if these things fail. You're just not hitting it hard enough. Yeah, I know. We need to try harder. We definitely need to uh, to try harder. But overall, I'm digging the the vibe of this microphone. And we just need to do a few more tests between this and the Shure. The only bad thing is this is a really big shock mount now with four big rubber bands. And it sits where I would normally be able to read the one monitor a lot more easily because the Shure SM7B, the one thing that you can say about that, which is the microphone I used to use, as you've seen on Rogan, it's very clean. There's no need for the big shock mount or anything. So you know, if you need to have, you know, a lot more vision around behind the microphone, the Shure is probably the better way to go. But I am liking the sound of this microphone and I like the vibe. This is just the old fashioned radio microphone. If you watch Frasier, that's the microphone that they use. If you watch almost any, you know, fake show about radio, that's the microphone you see. So I, I you know, always wanted to try one of these out. And so far digging it because you don't have to be right up an inch away from it to get that really full sound. So I'm actually able to be like more like five or six inches away from the microphone, which was a little weird to get used to at first. But it's actually a lot nicer to not have to be right on the microphone. And it just kind of works. But you're you're now being accused on NAS of having wasted money. Probably. I'm addicted to to microphones. I have the there are probably four big broadcast quality microphones, podcast quality microphones that are like the pro version of this. And I've got them all. I mean, when I originally wanted to, you know, looking at these things, I started with the Heil PR40 because, you know, Leo Laporte used it and uh, it sounded like a pretty good mic. So I picked up one of those and then I picked up the, uh, I don't remember if I got the Shure SM7B, you know, the Rogan mic. Or if I got the RE320, the Electro Voice, the one the Podfather uses. So I had those. And the only one really left was this, the Electro Voice RE20, the granddaddy of all of them. But now beyond going way up and spending, you know, thousands of dollars on a microphone, these are the four big broadcast microphones. So I need to do a I need to do a YouTube review or, you know, bit shoot or any place that'll have me. Uh, comparing the four because this is usually when you see all the websites you know where people are giving advice and like oh the best podcast microphones you can buy any of those four are going to be right at the top of the list most people are never going to spend more than the re20 which was i think 500 bucks but this of course included a boom arm which i was surprised because the last time i got like a really off-brand uh boom arm with it and you know like the boom arm you have that gets a little gets a little noisy um, yeah, you could, I was going to see if you can make that noise. Everybody loves a thing. Well, see, there oh, we go. Yeah, yes. I got it. I got it. The, uh, the one that came with this one is a, a Samson 
And I looked it up and it's a $90 boom arm and it's gotten really good reviews. And I'm probably never going to even take it out of the box. So I don't know. Uh, I need to set up a studio with like four microphones going at the same time. Cause now I think I have, uh, and I'm getting another boom arm. So uh, for I feel Christmas. like you need four microphones going at the same time just for all of your simultaneous podcasts. I should. You're right. There should be a different microphone for every podcast. Or I could just do different characters, one in one microphone, <laughs> one in the other. And I could podcast with myself as like a, uh, you know, a schizophrenic podcast. You know, you kind of do. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, a lot of people don't even believe you're real. They think you're just a uh, sometimes I'm not sure a well-crafted AI, but we do have a few real experts to thank on this show. I mean, it's a Monday show, so those are always a little bit low. But as we talked about on the last show, we're going, we we haven't given people their their time at work to to look over all of the work that they're doing and go, man, I should really donate to grumpy old Ben's. They should. I mean, right right now they're all looking at does my company use one of these things that was just exploited? And uh, it's the, the, do I use do I use the Orion? Actually, you know what? If you're in IT, you know damn well whether you use the Orion software or not. Yeah, like, and, you're, and, you're and if you do, you're probably not listening to this right now. You're probably too damn busy. Your week has been ruined, with, and then some. But as we talked about, now moving forward, the top donor for any episode is going to get the executive producer label. And for this episode, it's a bargain. Brian Hall, who I believe is coming in now on a subscription with $2.93, executive producer of this here episode 119 of Grumpy Old What a bargain. Yes. I mean, you can't beat that. So you're never going to know. You're never going to know what's going to be. Now, anything over $50, we said, is going to get executive producer now. I mean, we hope to get to the point of no agenda, I mean, which is, you know, 333 and up as executive producer. But, you know, we're going to we're going to have this being uh, like the hockey stick of the covid thing. We're, we're going to have that going up as as the uh, as the scale continues to move down the line. But we think and and, and it, it should go up. You know, the question you need to ask yourself is how much value did you get, for example, by listening to some unhinged jerk on the Internet telling you about the the Orion software and how your entire department is probably screwed. Yes. <laughs> if you got, if you got value out that out of that, then go ahead and send some back. And you could do this. At, I didn't mention at the last show. You could do this at grumpy which maybe explains the low amount of, uh, I mean, we had so many on Friday and I was so excited. I don't think I ever mentioned go to grumpy Click that donate button. Or use the QR code if you want to do the Bitcoin thing, or use the snail mail address if you want to send in a check or cash or whatever. But uh, that was the one actual donation from this show. So, Brian Hall, thank you. I did want to mention that we have a new Patreone, and I figured that was worthy. I didn't want to wait to the uh, first of next month just to just to kind of roll it in. And this is Braden. Hall. So this is like the boys in the hall episode, Brian yeah. and Braden. The the halls are are trying to tell us something. <laughs> the halls have ears or eyes or or something like well, that. Well, of course they have ears. They're listening to our podcast. <laughs> That's a very good point. Wow. I, I didn't think about that. That's scary. And I also wanted to uh, thank our buddy Steve E, who has uh, sent us in a couple of notes before. He's been on Patreon. He was the first one to find Patreon. 
And he sent us, you know, 10 bucks in the mail the other day or 12 bucks, something like that. And now he's up to his uh, 250 a month Patreon to five. So obviously, Steve E thinks we're doing something right here on Grumpy Old Benz, and we appreciate that. And this just goes to prove, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge donation. The monthly donations are great. They keep us going. They keep the uh, bandwidth bill paid for and the microphones coming in. <laughs> and uh, it's greatly appreciated. Keep, keep the mic stand squeaking. Yeah, you got to, you know, or or send some ranch hand to unsqueak the microphone stand. Uh, you know, which it depends which vibe it is that you're looking for. And uh, I mean, some people, I think, uh, you know, have podcasts and you can get through without the best audio quality out there, but I've always been a stickler for trying to get the best possible audio quality as possible. And that doesn't always mean you have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars. You can definitely get good sound with cheaper gear, proper mic etiquette and placement. So you're not popping everything and a little bit of post-processing goes a long way. Not everybody can be the pod father and just, and just, pop out a perfect product and uh although i'm interested to see how this community chapter things is going to go because it was pointed out in the no agenda troll room while i was getting ready for the live grumpy old bends that uh there were some racially charged words being used as chapter titles on (laughs) what (laughs) yeah just the n-word i mean i know i don't always like to censor and i know that makes you mad so i say the n-word rather than the full word but people are just adding that as a chapter title just to try to i guess screw with the podfather system and this is this is the interesting thing when you're trying to do something like offloading chapters to a community to be able to do these things once once this is noticed by people that are dicks that are going to try to infiltrate and do you know things to disrupt what you're doing this is where this might fall apart unless you have you know we have gatekeepers that we don't like to do a whole lot but we have gatekeepers like in the no agenda troll room where if somebody's really disruptive you can boot them off i don't know how this works with the community chapters or where people are contributing to this new podcast 2.0 standard but it's brand new well they're they're creating yeah they're creating something brand new and they're going to have to figure out exactly you know this this is the inherent problem with every attempt at crowdsourcing is that in you know the wisdom of the crowds is amazing and powerful and you always tap in want to tap in to that 80 percent of people who are who want to see your product done better and then the 10 percent of those who will actually go out and and do work for it. And you end up with, I mean, it's not a huge percent, it's under 10% of total, but, but you are, you are going to have a lot of people who want to make your product better. And that's the beauty. That's the awesomeness of crowdsourcing. The problem with crowdsourcing is that there is a small percentage of those people who are going to do work who are just straight trolls or dicks. Yes. And you got to find a way to manage them. And lots and lots of things have been tried. The, the one that most people end up settling on is is some kind of trusted moderator and maybe that's where adam needs to figure out uh how to land uh i know that adam doesn't want to do work um so it it could be that that trusted community moderators get promoted um you know other places have tried things like voting which uh you know but the the probably the the 
biggest example that I can come up with is Reddit, who where they they vote on almost everything. And the hive mind is very strong. You if you don't think the way the hive mind is, you get voted down. That's a big problem there. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they try. Yeah, it'll eventually get figured out. Even if it is, you have to verify an email address and you have to do, you know, it takes you a few things to be totally, you know, set off on your own. Although people will still go through those hoops then eventually just to cause problems. And yes, DigiGuru, we don't have to encode at 128 kilobits per second. But Adam's been doing 96 for a long time for various other reasons. I'm surprised he hasn't bumped it up because bandwidth is. I think he's asking. I think he's asking for uh, we should encode it flack. Right. We should go flack. We should go fully uncompressed so you can get the beauty of both. Oh, Ryan's yes. Voice Distribute wave files. <laughs> I'm sure we've got plenty of bandwidth on the server. See, why would people do wave? I don't get it. Now that flack exists, which is a mirror copy, it is well, no you different. said uncompressed. Well, yeah, but it's no different. I mean, OK, so you're saving yourself a little bit of CPU. Well, black black is compressed. It's just lossless. Yes, but you're that's the the end audio quality is a mirror of the wave. Yes. So you're not losing anything. Why people would just want larger file sizes. And I see this every now and then on the one a pirate site that I might go to where they'll post occasionally something in wave and flack. And there's always somebody that leaves a comment like, thanks for wave. And it's like. You know, you could just download a flag and, and press a button <laughs> to get the wave, it. right? You know, I mean, it's all you're doing is getting a larger file to download right up front. But I mean, I know people are still confused about a lot of this stuff. I, you know, if, if there's one thing that I noticed while working on audio drivers, it is that audio files are usually long on opinions, but not always long on information. <laughs> yes. And if you're if your data plan on your cell phone doesn't allow that then download over the wi-fi digi i mean we can offer i mean there's i've seen some podcasts i mean no agenda has different feeds for different qualities i know progo he may still be using like the 24 kilobit uh there's like a tiny one as well which 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 takes you back to the early days of internet audio i think i mean where you can understand what they were saying but it's uh it's so drastically been compressed and uh and digitized that it just doesn't doesn't quite sound right but uh you know 128 is kind of seemingly the the standard i don't know and i i've done a that, you know a couple that, of that, i mean that's I've, that's the bit rate that all of my mp3s got encoded to yeah in Might college why i don't listen to them and yeah when i was in, in 1998 that's the rate i was encoding them to you know and i mean you can do a variable but then some of the podcast players don't like that and i mean i did a couple of uh, tests when you know some of the larger episodes of ours and the amount that you're saving going from 128 down to the this 96 wasn't all that large but uh I mean, if you want to, if you want to get in and donate, you know, like a grand digi, we can definitely start a separate feed, a private feed just for you at whatever bit rate you would like. Maybe that's that's the exit strategy. Uh, I, I don't know. That sounds like it might be work. Let's not go crazy <laughs> here. I have another suggestion, though, that might help with keeping our file size down when people download this later, which is we could end the show. 
Oh, I mean, that's that's something to do. We could we could have ended it a lot earlier, though. I mean, we can make <laughs> these file sizes minute. I mean, it's boom. You would download it in a in an instant. In an instant. I'm just uh, the the comment that you made to me after the show last week when uh, we, we were collecting the URLs for the show notes. The the you know I I looked at this and went I only actually got to two of my stories for the entire show and you said well, well we only got to one of mine and <laughs> and the comment you said was well this was this show this episode was clearly bloviating one hundred and one and uh, of course my response was no that that was bloviating one eighteen last episode and this must be one nineteen but. I guess my point is maybe we talk too much and that's why the files are too big. You ever consider that? Well, see, we're, we're following in good, in good footsteps, because if you heard the end of no agenda yesterday, which was uh, no agenda 1303, Adam's like, Hey, you got one last clip to get us out of here. And Dvorak's like, I got three. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then of course it was the same thing. Don't complain that we're going long then. So, I mean, all podcasters have this same exact conversation at things, but we appreciate everybody for tuning in when we do these things live Monday and Friday at noon. Eastern is our usual time. I know the holidays are coming up. Things might get a little switched around. So always make sure you're uh, checking out the No Agenda Social. Sign up for our newsletter, which we need to start sending out, I guess, before every episode. But, you know, it's more of just a reminder, but we need to get on that and a few other things. I, I I meant to give you some crap about that newsletter and maybe maybe have a an executive level meeting about whether or not we want to continue using MailChimp. Yeah, haven't got to that story yet. So yeah, oh yeah, I know the MailChimp's bad. Somebody on No Agenda Social had an alternate idea for me, but it was one that was paid right off the bat, which I understand. <laughs> we we always like free. Although if there's anybody out there that has a better solution. If anybody runs a mailing list or anything like that, that we could, uh, you know, piggyback on your server, feel free to reach out when we do these shows live. It is on the mighty no agenda stream, which is no agenda stream.com. You can reach me via email, Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at grumpy old And you can reach Ryan at R-Y-A-N at grumpy old We'll be back on a Friday. There's still plenty of things to talk about. And uh, you always got to threaten our listeners. The bloviating will continue or else. (laughs) Until then, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I'm not hoping for a white Christmas. I'm hoping for a lead Christmas. And from America's left coast, where no amount of compression can stop the signal. I'm Ryan Bemrose. Dude, that's deep. Be all bad.